Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider, Axness. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. And SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproofed handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course, the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSE will cut bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Our next guest that joins us, I had an absolute blast talking to. She was so much fun. We laughed. It was it was awesome. So she's originally from South Africa. And after she went through her medic training, she did a couple of years down there and then continued on and has worked in five different countries. All of her EMS, all of her air ambulance, everything has led her to where she is at right now. And the stories to follow are amazing. So please welcome our next guest, 
search and rescue flight paramedic, Miss Phoenix Bean. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today, I've got a killer guest with me. We've been playing uh, phone tag and iMessage tag and WhatsApp tag and everything else under the sun. You've been hiking, you've been flying, I've been hiking, I've been flying, whatever. We just, finally it happened. So ladies and gentlemen, Miss Phoenix Bean, she is a flight paramedic coming to us from, well, actually UAE, but you are from South Africa. What's up, Phoenix? Hey, Jason. I'm so glad to finally be with you here. No, me too. It's been a lot of back and forth, but we finally got it going on. It's about damn time. That's what I'm going to say to that. Yeah, for sure. Right. <laughs> Thank you for having nice. me on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And uh, so you, you actually, I, I got to kind of mention how I connected with you because this is kind of funny is actually through Instagram. God bless Instagram from time to time. So um, search and rescue the world for those of you that haven't seen it is, is a killer platform. They take uh, all different pictures from all agencies around the world. And it just so happened you were in one of their pictures and I was like, oh, that's pretty badass. So I reached out and that's kind of how this, this whole conversation started. So if you don't like, before we get into who you are and the little background, what do you do? Where, where are you working right now? I know it's UAE, but what are you, what are you doing? Okay. So I'm working for a service here in the UAE. So we have a sort of dual module. We do SAR and we do HIMSS as well. So we'll do inter-hospital transfers and occasionally primary response to uh, motor vehicle accidents or that kind of thing. Um, but we also have a SAR role as well. So a bit of search and rescue inland and over the ocean. Holy so a bit of everything. Dude, that's awesome. Oh, snap. Yeah, I dig that. And I, I like, I knew yeah. you guys existed over there, um, just being on this neck of the world for a little while. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize it was like HEMS as well. That, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, we've got a pretty unique uh, dual model here. So it keeps us busy. Nice. All right, well. Yeah. Before we get too far into that, uh, give us a little background, like where you're from. I know it's South Africa, but how the heck did you get into search and rescue and then into where you're at now? Okay, so um, as you said, my name's Phoenix Bean. Um, surname Bean, like Mr. Bean. And before you ask, he is my father. <laughs> oh, what a oh phoenix that was amazing I, I get that all the time so i thought i'd just cover it quickly you know? <laughs> anyway so my start is about wait a minute is that for real is that, is that for real i'm just kidding, what, kidding. my, uh, my dad his yeah. mr. <laughs> sure is okay <laughs> the sure mr bean is. wait the mr bean i'd rather not spit okay <laughs> Uh, anyway, sorry, so, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so about uh, 15 years ago, maybe 16 years, um, I was working at a gym and I was a sort of fitness instructor for children. And um, I got sent on a first aid course. And uh, when I arrived there, it was at a, an ambulance service, a private ambulance service in South Africa. And I arrived and I saw all these paramedics in their flight suits and the ambulances, response cars and helicopters. And I thought, wow, this is the coolest thing. I have to do this. I, I just knew straight away that this is, this is what I wanted to do. Um, so I did the, the course um, with a paramedic who was my instructor, the first aid course. And I arranged with him to do a sort of ambulance observer session about two weeks later where I just ride along and see if it was something I could really enjoy. And uh, before that happened, it was the week after my first aid course, it was uh, the night before my 18th birthday. And uh, me, my mom and my dad were at home and uh, 12 armed men broke into our house. And oh, uh, you know, yeah, tried to, tried to kill us, let's put it that way. So oh, they managed to- shit. <laughs> They managed to shoot my dad oh. um, in the leg. He survived just a flesh wound, basically, in the in the femur, and he shot one of them who didn't survive. But anyway, it all oh, this, yeah. this is all relevant. Yeah, 
so when they came into my room and I was in bed, um, I jumped up and the guy said to me, out. And then he just opened fire. And I saw the, the muzzle flash and I just dropped to the ground. Uh, I've subsequently learned that I don't really have a fight or flight. I have more of a fall response. So I do kind of like the fainting goat, you know, I just drop and <laughs> that's it. If I get a big fright. That's, <laughs> anyway, well, that's terrible, by the way. I, you know, I yeah. no, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> so anyway, so he ran around um, to, to check that he thought he had shot me, obviously. And uh, I just played dead and he, he kicked me and I just lay there. And when he ran out my room, he was chasing after my mom. And uh, I went into the, the cupboard, the wardrobe, and I phoned the emergency services. I phoned my boyfriend at the time, and I phoned my boss to say, I'm not coming into work. I'm hiding in a cupboard. <laughs> I'm a very conscientious employee. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, so then it went, um, there were a lot of gunshots, and I just figured everyone was dead. And a uh, couple of, probably about 20 minutes later, the, the wardrobe door opened, and there was a paramedic standing there. And he pulled me out the cupboard. He said, it's safe now. They've shot your dad. He's okay. Someone else has been shot. He's not okay. I don't want you to see. And I said, "As like, hell, of course I'm going to go and see. So I went and had a look and uh, everything was fine. And I ended up working with that very same paramedic the next day. Uh, jumped on his response car and he became my, my mentor from then. Okay, I was so, not yeah. expecting any of that. Holy yeah. cow. <laughs> and then um then I arranged to do a couple of like ride along on the ambulances that, that I had originally planned to do and uh, the first accident I went to with this paramedic it was a pedestrian vehicle accident and uh, I quickly learned the old adage I don't know if you guys said as well but if there's one shoe missing the patient's a p1 and if there's two shoes missing he's a p4 so if he's been knocked completely out of his shoes, then he's likely to be dead. Anyway, 100% true. <laughs> this patient was missing his shoes, but he was also missing a significant portion of his pelvis that we could not find for about an hour from just above his, probably just below his backside to just, just below his navel, a whole section that I, I guess it got stuck on the vehicle that hit him and oh. someone took it home with them or something like that. Anyway, so after that call, I was like, well, this is truly disgusting. This is what I'm made to do. I knew straight away this is for me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is awesome. Uh, and I was hooked. Yeah. So then uh, after that, I, um, I did my, two, my basic life support and then my intermediate life support and worked on the ambulance services for about two years. Then I went to go and do my degree um, in emergency medical care. And this is a paramilitary degree. So, you know, you parade in the morning, you do your PT, um, you have a lot of expeditions where they sleep deprive you, they ration your food and your water, they put you through continuous um, physical and mental exercises. It's wonderful. Like you get to learn your limits and then push past those limits oh, and yeah. hate every moment of it. When you look back, it's awesome, you know? I think it's probably the closest we get to sort of your guys' training. Um, um, and, you know, military is not really a thing for us so in South Africa. So I think it's pretty close to what I'll you give guys it to do. You. Yep. Uh, I'll call that a pass. I don't care what everybody else says. <laughs> this conversation is for you and I. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's about as close as we get to you guys. But that's, that's four years. And it's uh, academically intensive in terms of pre-hospital and emergency care. And then we do rescue at the same time for those four years. So we cover uh, all of the modules, I think, except cave rescue. We don't do that. But structural collapse, trench rescue, fire search and, search and rescue, light motor vehicle, wilderness rescue, high angle, uh, swift water. Oh we do goodness. all of that. Wow. So when we come out, we're pretty well-rounded. And that was my basic training in um, both uh, paramedicine and uh, rescue as well. Jeez, so, oh man, that's intense. Yeah. So then from there, I worked in South Africa for about two years, Johannesburg and Cape Town. And of course, in Johannesburg, it's, it's intense. Um, the stuff that you do, the stuff that you see, it's very much uh, 
when you go in for your practical sessions, it's learn one, do one, teach one. Mm. So you'll learn from the doctors or the nurses, let's say do a, a needle decompression or something. The next one, you'll do it yourself. And the next one, you'll be teaching someone else to do it. Wow. So you get your skills really quickly. And it's, yeah, it's a really phenomenal environment to, to develop I, your skill set. I really like that. Yeah. yeah Learn it's really one, great. do one, teach one. Teach one, yeah. It's probably not the best practice, but, you know, in a resource uh, limited environment, what, what else can you do? Well, all right. So question, do you have, let's, do you, when you're teaching someone else, this maneuver, whatever the maneuver is, do you have somebody yeah. to experience over your shoulder to make sure you're teaching the proper way to do it or? Usually not. That's why I say it's not oh. ideal. It's just that you're so overrun and uh, the nurses and the doctors that are instructing you are so overwhelmed that they, they don't have Got time it. to show you twice. Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention Here. and inshallah it goes well, you know. <laughs> so. Here, uh, this works for me last time. Try it here. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't, go too, don't go too high. Yeah, okay. It, I've seen top, this before. I can yeah. do this. <laughs> Plus, I stayed in the Holiday Inn last night, so I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, I saw God. it on Grey's Anatomy, you know, it should be fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I worked around there for about two years, and then I went to Africa. It was always my dream to go into the darker places of Africa and sort of explore the more rugged environment. Um, and the first place I went to was Zambia, which is certainly not rugged in any way. It's very similar to South Africa. If I remember correctly, um, Zambia is directly north uh, east of South Africa. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, just basically across the border. It's really a two-hour okay. flight. Nice. So certainly not going into the deep dark Africa, but a good uh, baby step towards there. <laughs> so, um, while I was there, I probably did some pretty unique stuff. Um, a lot of animal attacks, actually, which I'm, I'm sure you guys don't really get exposure to elephant and hippo and snake bites and those kind of things. Snake bites? Um, yes. Elephant, hippo, sure. not like a usual. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't say that. Like I, that's not something I would have thought of. Yeah, attack my hippo. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, and they are incredibly vicious. I mean, the I did a hippo attack once in in Zambia. We used to service the Lower Zambezi, so there were a lot of resorts there, um, and a lot of safari guides and guests and that kind of thing, and vets as well, uh, veterinarians, and that used to get attacked quite frequently by some wild species. And uh, so one of the ones I went to was a guy, he, uh, he was a safari guide and he was leading a bunch of um, guests down the river in their kayaks and uh, a hippo, obviously very territorial and their space is so limited because the population of hippos is massive. So he decided to take on the safari guide and he actually removed most of his leg so the entire hamstring area and the entire quad was stripped clean off the bone. Um, absolutely most remarkable thing I've ever seen, to be honest. Uh, he was fine afterwards. Thank goodness they put a, a 20K on. Um, and so he, he did survive that, but he, he lost the limb. But yeah, incredibly vicious hippos. Uh, duly noted. And, um, you know what? I'm going to tell my wife, like, hey, when we go to Africa. Don't be messing with the hippos. Stay away from the hippos. Same. And don't underestimate their speed. <laughs> They're incredibly fast. <laughs> you wouldn't think it, but they are. Um, yeah. All right. So I had a lady. Um, she was a veterinarian. And uh, she had been told by one of the lodges that there was an incredibly aggressive uh, elephant roaming the area. So she was going to go out and sort of try and examine the elephant and find out why was this thing so aggressive. So she thought she had cleared the area and uh, then she got on the phone to make a phone call. And I guess the elephant heard her on the phone and uh, came charging and then uh, gouged her, basically. Gorged her? Gouged her. Gouged her. Sure. With its tusk. Uh, either one is shit. <laughs> it tusked her. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> So, um, yeah, usually what they do is they will try and uh, sort of crush you. They'll pin you down and then crush you. But she was quite lucky in the sense that it didn't crush her. It just uh, 
put its tusk straight through her and did quite a significant amount of damage. But the interesting thing is that we um, we were flying fixed wing at the time and uh, we couldn't move this, we couldn't land this aircraft onto this uh, uh, dust strip at night. There was no uh, lighting. So we used to use um, one of the farmers nearby, we used to use his little Robbie 44, uh, just me and oh, the farmer. Man. <laughs> heading down like it's at dusk in this tiny little thing you know I'm taking limited equipment it's just me this because I'm the lightest of them I uh, load this patient up with her legs hanging outside the aircraft we've done it twice actually legs yeah. hanging out the aircraft and fly her all the way back yeah absolutely <laughs> bizarre bizarre but I mean you got to do what you got to do right where all right so an R-44 is not a big aircraft. It's it's really no. small. And I, I'm totally on board, feet hanging out. I get it. Where the heck are you sitting? Like, so how I do you would, treat the patient? You There's no treatment. There's so you no just treatment. load and look back? You load her. Okay. That's it. We used to remove the, the passenger seat. Okay. Um, so I could place my equipment there, my ventilator and my jump bag and whatever, and just sort of kind of strap myself in there so that I can watch her but certainly can't do much intervention once I've loaded her. So, you know, I, I did what I could on the scene and then loaded her in and off we go. And it's just some, it's some kind farmer that happens to have this aircraft as his toy um, that uh, was kind enough to lend it to us for these rescues. Yeah, completely crazy, completely crazy. Oh my so it's God. no wonder I'm afraid of flying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so your yeah. very first case, you get a hip taken off of some dude <laughs> yeah. going down the road. We think that the hip is still in the car. I, another yeah. one is in another country with a getting chased by a freaking hippo and then a lady getting stabbed <laughs> by an elephant. By an yeah, elephant, yeah. I need to come hang out with you. It's been colorful. You know, once I went to an accident in, um, it was in Cape Town, actually, and uh, a man was driving his BMW down a, down a freeway, a highway, whatever you'd call it. Yeah, and he was thing. driving through sort of a, a township area and he hit this cow, massive cow. He hit it. Okay. And then by the time we got there in the ambulance, the cow was gone. The villagers had come out, the locals had come out and removed the cow to eat it, obviously. <laughs> So they took it home and had it for dinner. The car was cleared from the scene before the patient was cleared. <laughs> I couldn't even see what he had hit. He kept saying, I hit the car. And I'm like, where? I, I can't see a car anywhere. Oh, my God, that's crazy. <laughs> they had taken it home so that they could all eat it, you know. Everyone from this village had just swamped this accident scene to remove pieces of this cow. For food. Stepping over the patient. <laughs> Excuse me. I like the high corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mind me. Yeah. I like it in the backstretch. Yeah. <laughs> I want the good part. <laughs> oh, that's so, messed yeah. up and hilarious. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. But then uh, obviously after after Africa, I then went up to Sierra Leone and Liberia and I worked there for about 2 years and that was at the end of um the Ebola crisis. So we went up to support the the end of that. And that was quite, that was a difficult experience. That was a difficult time for sure. Yeah. Um, that was my first experience with the epidemic slash pandemic. It was an epi epidemic then. But um, yeah, it was definitely quite an eye opener and quite a, um, quite a distressing time actually. Because of what? So, you know, just the way the, the epidemic was handled, there's very little support for these people and the support that did come in would sort of be pocketed by the the corrupt uh, government officials gotcha. um, but there was also a lot of stigma with um, westernized medicine so the the locals were very anti-westernized medicine and that of course just escalated the problem even further because they wouldn't report their symptoms you know they wouldn't seek help um, and by the time they did, they're already five, six days into hemorrhagic fever and they've, they've spread it to the entire village. Wow. But yeah, but probably the worst thing of it was um, the, the children that had had their parents or their family members die of Ebola, they were discarded or um, abandoned and kicked out of the, the villages because they were thought to be cursed or 
you know, evil in some kind of way. So they were just completely abandoned. It's devastating. It's shocking. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. That's seeing the world yeah. in so a different were, aspect. Were, yeah, it was completely, completely, a, a, you know, a drastic change from what I had experienced before and a real eye opener. Now, were you, um, uh, were you working in a clinic or were you like air ambulance or just, or what? Yeah, so we were air ambulance, but we also had a clinic and we were establishing clinics in various places. Um, so our main our main uh, mission was to support the MSF and US, uh, UN workers and that kind of thing. So we were busy with evacs um, of locals as well as the the expatriates that were working there. But um, at the beginning, our main initiative was to develop uh, to deliver vaccines to the uh, the locals that were there, and they would just go running. They would just flee the area when you start driving in with your you know, your UN vehicles or, um, yeah, the company that I was working for before. Just, yeah, completely, completely backwards, completely shocking, actually. You're trying to help and there's so much distrust and, yeah, fear. Terrible. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, not, really not, again, not what I would expect. Yeah. So you're going yeah, in I trying think- to help and save and rescue and the whole nine yards and, and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, back off because that's didn't want it yeah they didn't want it and you know we were interfering with their culture as well so their traditions for example when someone died it was to cleanse the body uh they would cleanse the body as like a ceremony and now we were telling them you cannot do that you're spreading disease you know you're spreading it through the water going down to the next village or by touching the body or, or whatnot and this was interfering with their their traditions and their the way they practice their culture so it was a real, a real yeah. upset. They had this sort of strong belief that if they got sick and they reported it, the Westerners would take them and they would go and die in one of these field tents, which was, I mean, in actual fact, that was very much the truth. But they didn't understand that we were trying the very best to help them and, you know, try and get them to recover. So when we came to deliver them with vaccines, they were not about it. They did not trust that at all. So, and of course, you know, in a small area like Africa, it's, it's not that well known because there aren't people traveling through it like they are now with this current pandemic. So it's not spreading as, as um, internationally as quickly as, as uh, COVID is. Right. So people just kind of ignored it. You know, it's a, that's a problem in deep dark Africa. We can ignore it. We don't have to worry about it. It's still going. Yeah. That's a, so yeah, what an experience. But after I did uh, two years there, was time for me to move on and that's when I came to the the Middle East and um, joined the SAR unit so now I'm more exclusively SAR orientated I'm not fixed wing anymore so yeah I'm loving it yeah and uh remind it so you're flying on the AW-139 out there are there yeah. any other aircrafts no we only fly 139s we have the short nose and the long nose we have I think 11 aircraft in our fleet nice wow that's Good yeah. and five bases so we have redundancy yeah where are the bases over there in ua so we cover hamra um Alain, liwa um Bettin, and fujera so in essence that's the whole uae being covered by these these five bases if you look at their radius yeah um so, so yeah kind of yeah we cover the entire area so yes, uh, but you're out of dubai that's like the main hub is out of dubai or oh, sorry, uh, Abu Dhabi. Uh, our head office is in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, our, okay. our probably our lead base is in in Abu Dhabi. Okay. Um, Dubai, yes, we do cover, but that'll be via our Fujairah and Alain bases. They will cover that area. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, and then um, so my experiences in Saw have been here have been quite good. Actually, the first mission that I came to here, um, it was a primary. And we were sent for a motor vehicle accident. Um, a gentleman had been going down the highway, sending it, going real fast. And uh, he lost control of his vehicle, plowed into the desert, and ended up probably about 80 meters away from the road. So, of course, the ambulance <laughs> couldn't get there. <laughs> they couldn't get the ambulance through the sand to, to go and recover him. Um, he also had someone else with him. So the police went out in their helicopter which is their primary role really and they fetched the one patient and we were tasked to get the second 
So when we got there and we landed, the ambulance crew came sort of running up towards the, the helicopter, looking really stressed. So I thought, oh, I've, you know, this must be this must be quite significant. I wonder what's going on. So they put the patient inside the helicopter and proceeded to start to hand over all the details to my crewman, who's a male, of course. Yep. And no matter how many times I kept telling him to me, hand over to me, I'm the paramedic. No, he wasn't about to, to change his course. He was handing over to the crewman. So of course I had no medical, uh, I had no knowledge about what this patient had been through, what he had sustained, nothing. And my crewman is not medical trained either. So he had no idea what the guy was saying. So it was just kind of a very go in blind and, and sort it out. Anyway, so I start looking at this patient and I see, oh, he's not breathing and he's not got a pulse. Or, you know, he's, he needs some CPR. So I call the ambulance guy back and I say, you must fly with me. I need another trained medical person to, to do CPR while we en route. No, 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 no. He brings me the Lucas device. It's fine. We attach it and uh, start the external compressions, which is fine. I flew like that. But when I handed this patient over at the receiving facility, obviously they were pretty pissed off because now I'd bought them a traumatic arrest patient, you know. And uh, once we'd started to sort of clean up the patient, it became quite obvious that he'd been dead for quite some time. Oh. So (laughs) I think uh, these paramedics, either they were just um, on shift changeover or I don't know what the story is, but they... They wanted to get rid of this patient and they wanted to do it real quick. So uh, they kind of skewed the data a little bit and uh, acted real panicked and in essence handed over a, a dead patient uh, for a trip to hospital. So yeah, not not my finest hour, but you know. Your first case there. <laughs> my first case, yeah, yeah. So I flew a traumatic arrest for no reason whatsoever. So yeah. Oh I mean, I guess there's not that much criteria for helicopter dispatch here. Okay. So I guess you just you just go. I mean, I don't guess. I'm pretty sure that that's what we do because I've gone out for a fish hook in the finger before. Um, <laughs> you can't, hold on. <laughs> I got a fish hook in, hel- in my finger. Call the yes. helicopter. Get the Call helicopter. The helicopter. Yeah. And don't, it's don't nice. call the taxi. Like, They're right down the road. Exactly. They can drive you there in less time. Yeah. Nope. Let's yeah. call a full-on helicopter. Fulker. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Man. That's, That's awesome. It. Yeah. There you go. Hey, you so know what? You might add last... tetanus. I'm just throwing that out. Might add tetanus. You never know. In three days' time. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. You know. Hey, I'm just saying. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you just go. But um, actually, you know what? I was listening to one of your podcasts uh, with, I think it was Scott Polway. Yep. Yep. And he was speaking about a marsh. Um, He was retrieving a body from a marshy area. Yeah. And uh, it reminded me of of one of my cases as well. Oh, um, come on, Scott. Look at that. Nice. He triggered a memory in me, a little PTSD coming through. <laughs> you know how it is. Um, I don't know if I should say thanks, Scott, or damn it, Scott. <laughs> I'm not sure either, but we'll find out. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, um, it was a, a British guy and a young, I don't know where the other guy was from, but he was a lot fitter and a lot more uh, in a better condition. Anyway, they had gone gone out on a kayak in the night, and this was in summer, so we're talking like 40 degrees, you know, which is already no one goes out in 40 degrees. That's how you knew that they were tourists, because locals. And so everybody knows 40 degrees is like 102 or 3, like Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Yeah, Yeah. aka stupid hot in the desert, in (laughs) the Middle East. Yeah, hashtag what are you thinking? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. hashtag don't go outside. (laughs) <laughs> hashtag this AC so anyway, for they a reason have... <laughs> exactly. I mean that you can quickly tell that they're tourists you know just from there so anyway they go out and they camp uh, in these mangroves during the nighttime. and when they wake up in the morning now they're already pretty hot they've had a long night it hasn't been comfortable bugs all of that and they, they wake up and uh, they go looking for their kayak and the kayak's gone out with the tide um, they obviously didn't anticipate that the tide would <laughs> go out. 
Oh, good. So they now find themselves surrounded by this thick clay, which is actually the photo that you were speaking about earlier <laughs> on my Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> so now they're surrounded by this thick clay and they can't move at all. I mean, every step that they take, they just sink deeper in and it's sticky. They, they're just stuck. So by then, one of the guys is now on like heat exhaustion stage. He's starting to struggle a little bit. So they call for us and um, we go out, but they can't get me close enough to the guys when I'm winching down because these guys are under a tree. So it's a bit of a hazard. Um, so they can get me sort of probably about three or four meters away. And then once they put me down, I'm stuck. So it's a, it's a very difficult situation. Both of us are stuck. So eventually I, I sort of um, give them hand signals to lie down and roll towards me, you know, like oh. increase your surface surface area and roll yeah so the one the one starts rolling and the other one is sort of pushing him because his friend is really struggling now he's pushing and then they both roll a little bit further and then he pushes his friend a bit so I got the first guy and strapped him up and lifted him up into the aircraft and then I went down for the second and uh, he was a little bit as I said not as bad condition as the first one um, strapped him up and as we lifted up his shoes and his socks both came off and his pants both came off <laughs> and we start lifting up and it made this awesome sound, you know, like this suction noise as we lifted up and got them, <laughs> as we got them out the water and there goes his pants and his shoes and his socks. And I thought it was hilarious. I was laughing. I thought it was great. He wasn't laughing at all. And then I said to him, you know, isn't this awesome? Look around, look at the view because it was sunrise and it was cool, you know? He was not in the mood to enjoy the view at all. He did not like any part of that. <laughs> That's when I realized, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> maybe we're a little bit different. You know? <laughs> we enjoy things that they don't really enjoy. <laughs> well, when you're uh, hanging yeah. from a helicopter with no pants on with a, a, a nice <laughs> lady paramedic, I <laughs> oh, couldn't think oh. of anything better the best day of my life <laughs> well okay I get you know what yeah yeah <laughs> that is hilarious oh my goodness yeah. like, oh. it's beautiful <laughs> oh my goodness uh, so Jan I mean needless to say I, I left quite a mess in the back of that aircraft and the engineers weren't and they weren't pleased when I got back with that mud all over and thick clay oh but, uh, that's what star is you never know what you're gonna yeah. get I mean, that's it those oh are the those are the cases we really enjoy so i i got a couple questions now now you kind of bring this up yeah. so first one is um hoist so you are being winched down so you're are you a winch operator as well or just the winchmen <laughs> paramedics so you, all you do is ride the hook treat the patient down above or down on that's ground it. or yeah. on deck or wherever and then boom, you're hoisting out with the victim, patient, and bringing them into the aircraft. Um, who is it. the yeah, hoist operator? Okay. So that'll be one of the crewmen. The majority of them are uh, Emiratis that are trained in the military as as uh, hoist operators, crewmen. But Got a it. couple of them come from um, overseas as well, um, which have worked in various SAR units or you know various uh, kind of heli positions around the world. So we have some really experienced guys on our team, hoist operators. And that, of course, you know, that makes all the difference. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm all about a, an entire good crew. If you got a good pilot, you can have an okay flight mech or, or hoist operator or vice versa. You can have an, a great hoist operator and an okay pilot and make everything work. But when you've got yeah. everybody in, in on point and in tune, oh, that stuff goes so smooth. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah that's a beautiful thing. Now, our next question is, how, all right, so what are you guys staffed with right now as far as crews? So you've got two pilots up front, obviously. Uh, yeah. You've got the hoist operator and you. Is that it? The four? That's it. Wow. Yeah. Right on. But when we fly a, a medevac, which is an inter-hospital transfer for us, so one hospital to another, we always fly two paramedics. And that's and because these- No winch operator or? With a winch operator. So yeah. there'll be three of you guys in the back. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it's just I, I love just that type of configuration. It. Yeah. Love it. 100%. I would take that all the time if I could. You know, just yeah. that surety that they can handle, they can give me a hand if I need. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to have that all the time, but that's a lot of resources. So 
Right. Difficult. Yeah. Well, and yeah. with your again flying around 40 degree Celsius weather, you got to worry about weight, uh, especially when it comes to lift and how much fuel you can take, especially when it comes into a hoist. Yeah, uh, yeah it gets kind of squirrely. But yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Uh okay, next follow-up question. Are so your training has gotten you like I, I get all the medical stuff. Tell me a little more about the rescue training. How did you get trained on the hoist as far as a do you call it winchman or winch paramedic, hoist rescue specialist? What do you, what do you guys refer to yourselves as? Medics. <laughs> yeah. Come That's on. It. Medic. Yeah. I need a medic. <laughs> Just medic. Yeah. All right. So you as a medic getting on the hoist hook, going in and out, uh, coming into the cabin, out of the cabin, getting hoisted down with, without gear, with patients, without patients. Yeah. What, what does that training all entail? So originally, most of us who went through the same degree that I did, we trained in aviation rescue on that on those points. But when you join this service as well, you go through an induction training course and you have to be signed off by the lead crewman who's assessing you the whole time, uh, making sure that you you know perform universal and safe practices. So you'll have to be cleared on that before you can be placed on the on the roster and be an operational uh, SAR medic. Yeah. Sweet. Ah, SAR medic. All right. I like that. Medic! I need a medic! I thought I just add that one in a little bit. Yeah. Saw medic. Saw medic. Are you also trained as rescue swimmer? And the reason I'm asking that is because you did have a wetsuit on in the picture that I saw. So rescue, like define rescue swimmer stuff for you guys. No, no, no? we don't classify us, ourselves as rescue swimmers. No. So of course, all of us are um, swift water, you know, uh, trained but we are not rescue swimmers per se okay and we certainly can't hold a candle to what you guys do in the water ah, ah. So. minor detail <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no we're not we're not rescue swimmers i mean we do do a lot of uh, water operations but um rescue stay, swimmers not do exactly you just stay hard. connected to the hook when you're in the water uh, yes, if we're okay. doing a strop, but if we're doing a basket recovery, then we'll disconnect, uh, okay. obviously, to connect the, the basket. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. Right on. Good for you guys. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, we got a nice uh, mixed uh, modality here. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, and the <laughs> stuff that you get called to is, I mean, all right. So, out of cute. Okay. Let's go back to that in particular case because. I have like a, my own thought about that. Like I get like walking through muck and mire and trying to move and you can't do it. I love the rolling idea of the patient. That is brilliant. Like just, yeah. Be, yeah. Yeah. Worked really well actually. Yeah. yeah. That works great in the snow too. If you're in deep snow for anybody that's out, and, you know, just roll in the snow. All of a sudden you're on the top. Well, I'm going to make a note of that because I've yeah. never actually been in snow. So well, will... you're in the desert. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll certainly note that. <laughs> noted. Along noted. Yeah. <laughs> when in snow. <laughs> yeah. Don't eat yellow snow. Note that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, it's, it's escalated quickly. <laughs> terrible, terrible. Um, you know, actually, I, I want to mention one other case is that um, it happened last year, actually. We okay. were busy with training and uh, we were just doing a, a high line stretcher training. And when they brought me back into the aircraft, um, the pilots were very quiet. They were busy with something in the front and nobody was communicating at all. And eventually I realized, okay, we've, you know, we're being activated for a mission, but the CRM was not great at that point. So I had no idea what we were going for where we were going, whether I should now get changed into my, my wetsuit or what the story was. Eventually, um, you know, that sort of ironed out a little bit. Um, but it uh, turns out we were going to fetch three guys in the desert who had been stuck there for, they said three days. Mm, whether that's true, I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, so we're looking for a white vehicle in the desert. We find a black vehicle in the desert. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you know, just lower me down. Let me go and check it out. So I get down there and of course he's filming the entire thing because that's super cool. So I ask him, I'm like, are you the patient? He says, no, he's actually looking for those patients as well. He's the friend. And now he's stuck. 
but uh, don't worry, he's fine. You know, he's he will sort himself out. So he gave us the phone number for the, the patients that were stuck. Um, so we managed to call them in the aircraft and they were speaking very broken Arabic and my captain could barely understand what was going on. Um, but we managed to sort of guide our way over to them. And uh, when we located them, two of them were on top of the dune and one of them was lying sort of at the base of the dune yeah. and um, just having all the sand wash over him. So I could see, oh, either this guy's dead or he's in a really bad way. So I'm like, okay, let me go down and I'll winch this guy up first. So my crewman starts lowering me down and um, I'm watching this patient the whole time. When I'm about, let's say, five feet off the ground, this patient suddenly springs up from the dead and tackles me. He jumps himself around me, grabs me around the arms, wraps his legs around me and, you know, sort of like death locks them. So intertwines his legs so that he's completely gripped onto me. I, of course, now fall off the dune. Um, so I'm now lying in the sand and I've got him lying around me and I can't move because he's pinned my arms down to my body. Um, so I'm trying to sort of rock and twist and turn to try and get him off of me. And I can't because he's he's just wrapped around like a little monkey. So my crewman, <laughs> decides to, my crewman, my crewman lifts me up a little bit and, and that jerky motion sort of allows me to free my hands and push the guy away from me. But I need to push him away just enough so I can put the strap around him and then take him up, you know. But every time I push him away, he sort of clambers back, grasping at me to try and get back around me again. So I'm trying to like, you know, I'm getting a little bit abusive now with him because now I'm getting a little bit irritated as well. So I push him really hard away and quickly wrap the strap around and lift him. So now we're going up to the, the aircraft. I put him inside there, secure him. I can see he's completely disorientated. You know, he's way past the, the phase of heat exhaustion now. Now he's in a really bad way. And he's obviously confused. You know, he's delirious. Yeah. So my crewman sort of secures him and straps him down. I go back down and fetch the other two. And then fetch the guy in the black vehicle because we're sure as shit not coming out again to fetch this guy <laughs> in an hour's time. Like we're doing it one time, you know? Yeah, yeah. So this, um, so when I get back in the aircraft, this uh, the delirious patient, he's all latching onto me again the whole time. I can't get him to release me. Eventually, he's so much in my space that he deploys my life vest my, on my Triton harness. <laughs> so now I've got this huge <laughs> life vest pushing on my helmet. I can barely move around. Oh, it was an absolute freaking nightmare. It was a nightmare. <laughs> and a huge safety concern as well, you know? So luckily when I got him on some, some oxygen and sort of a little forceful with him, he, he quietened down a little bit and he realized, you know, we, we're going to help you here, my friend. We're not going to throw you out of the, out of the helicopter. We're trying to help you. And then it was fine, but holy shit, that was, yeah, it was something else. I mean, patients like that, when they're in that delirious state, it's just, it's scary, actually. It's pretty scary. Yeah. yeah. And it makes me think of you guys going out to people drowning. I mean, the only people I've collected from the water have been dead. Yeah. So they're not exactly not grasping onto me, but nah. someone who's drowning, holy hell. You know, uh, it's, it's actually, well, you just take them underwater. The last place they want to be is underwater. And that's yeah. the easiest way to, to get somebody off you. You know, um, they do teach us throughout school to, to spin them around underwater and, and get control of them. But for the most part, um, anybody that I personally have ever dealt with, if you call, if you go underwater, the first thing they want to do is let go and go to the surface. And then once you're uh -huh. underwater now, you like, you can kind of see where they're at. Okay. I own you at this okay. point, come up, boom, hit them. And then they can't do yeah. anything. So. See, that's the part I did take away from our swift water training was the hit them in the face. I've always, enjoyed that part of it oh duly and noted I, 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 I always thought you had the opportunity in the desert you should be like oh me you son of a guy <laughs> i couldn't this guy had no. a hold on me yeah <laughs> man headbutt William. come on a little jujitsu in there where's my boy caleb flipping yeah. let's go <laughs> Yeah, but I'm also not built with a lot of a lot of height, you know. I'm fun-sized, if you will, or bite-sized. So I don't really have the height advantage, which is probably also why my 
um, my attitude is so strong. Um, I think I'm compensating for my lack of height. So what you're saying is you have little man syndrome. That's terrible. That's it. Yeah. I, I, you know <laughs> what? It's a good thing we're not in the same room because I would be like totally punched in the mouth right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I apologize. It's a bit aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit aggressive. I'm not even drowning. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I guess takeaways from that are CRM and, uh, you know, safety in the back of the the aircraft. But the CRM thing was a big, was a pretty big one. Yeah. Um, And, you know, something that we see a lot here is, uh, I guess, all over the world. I mean, paramedics, medical staff, essential workers, they're all pretty much abused by patients and by uh, the healthcare workers and staff. And, you know, we get sworn at, we get threatened, we get physically assaulted. I mean, I've been bitten by a psychiatric. I've been cursed by a psychiatric. I mean, there's just... How's that working out for you? Well, (laughs) I haven't made it to church yet. (laughs) But but I did immediately phone my boss and say, I think I need to see a a pastor, rabbi, priest. I'm not sure which one, but can you send someone? (laughs) I think I might be cursed. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Wow. So, yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, being a female, it's, um, I don't want to say that I get abuse, but I certainly am not as uh, regarded as perhaps my male counterparts and not by my own team, but by patients that I'll pick up. So I tend to wear a full face uh, helmet with a face guard and they don't know that I'm a female until if I choose to remove my mask. And I've had it before where I've helped someone winched him up and then taken off my helmet when we get to hospital and he won't allow me to help him climb out the aircraft you know it that could just be for traditional reasons but mm, it could be other things involved as well interesting now are you referring more to right now in your environment or throughout your entire career uh well it's always been i think i spent a lot of time trying to prove my worth as a as a female Um, when I qualified, I was the first female to qualify with that four-year degree, the full-time program. So there was a lot of pressure to sort of prove myself as a, a, um, good paramedic, a decent paramedic. And in fact, once I qualified, I went, my first call, I went to a drowning, um, a young toddler who had drowned. And, um, when I got to the hospital, I'd loaded her up, treated her in the ambulance, whatnot. I'd got to the hospital and almost every male paramedic that was working that day had arrived at the hospital, not because they wanted to help me or support me because they wanted to evaluate my performance. hundred percent. There was no doubt about it. Yeah. They wanted to see whether my ET tube was in place, my NG tube was in place, whether I got the IO, you know, what drugs I had given. So it was completely a sort of a rite of passage to be evaluated by them before you could be accepted as a, as a member of the team. So for sure, so, that's been a... I'll tell you what, they, there's only one thing I'm going to say to this, and I'm going to stick to my opinion, my opinion only. But as long as they're doing that to everybody else, cool. Like, I, I got I got no issue with... Like, if it was me and I had to go through that, and all of a sudden I've got all the, the medics showing up to evaluate me, cool. If they only do that to you, nah, I... I, I don't agree with that. Like, it should be the same standard across the board. That is my opinion. For those that disagree with me, whatever, it's not your podcast. Piss off. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, yeah, it, I mean, like, obviously, so, I, I completely yeah. agree with you, but I need to be the same. You know, my worth as a paramedic is the same as, as yours. So, my level of practice shouldn't differ from anyone else's. So, yes, everything's equal. They should evaluate us all equal. I should perform equally. Right. So, I've, I've been all about that message since the start of my career. I don't push it as much now because I don't feel like I have as much to prove anymore. But when I was younger, in the beginning of my career, I fought very hard to try and prove my worth as a, as a female. For sure. And, and I think that is changing. Yeah. I, and I can, I can totally empathize with you to the fact that, you know, even when I, when, yeah, when I graduated swimmer school, I felt I needed to prove myself to the shop. Like I am worthy to be here. I know I just made it through school and I know I'm a boot, but I am worthy to be here. And 
you know, even in my next unit was one of those things like, yeah, you've done a bunch of stuff, but no, I am, I am proving myself. I am worthy to do here. I, like, I am the same as you. And I, I, I mean, yeah, I, again, I want to speak. And, okay. I'll throw one more thing in there. The women that I've, that I've worked with in the Coast Guard uh, for rescue storm, they're held to the same standard we are as men. Like there, there is no, it's the same standard. So it's the same yeah. amount of push-ups, the same amount of pull-ups, the same swim in the same time, the same run in the same time. It's, it's all the same. It doesn't matter. You know yeah. why? Because mother nature doesn't care. Doesn't care what color <laughs> man, woman, don't care. The dude that's dying doesn't care. Come get me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway. yeah where i'm working now they don't exactly um not my team but the um the local population don't exactly hold us to the same level as the males so they don't expect as much from the females which mm, yeah it's a little bit irritating but yeah i also am not about you know trying to assert myself and uh, that much anymore so i just take whatever i can get and i'm fine with it but as I said, they, they have changed a lot. And the more that they are getting more comfortable with females working here and working in the industry, the more it's changing. Yeah, so which is nice. It's a great time. It's a great time, yeah. 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 That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So that is my story. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Phoenix, this has been amazing. Um, I, you know, I, I was going to turn it over to you and say, hey, what else do you want to pass? But You've kind of hit like everything. I didn't even have to ask a question. Like, come on. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my podcast. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what? Uh, thanks for inviting me. That was so nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Phoenix, there I There is really one more. Yeah. There is one more thing I want to say. But let's keep it's it rolling. That, and, and it's a little bit of a sentimental thing. So I think, um, you know, we've always heard the, the saying blood is thicker than water, but you know, that that has been mistranslated over a couple of years. And I read one um, sort of passage that someone had written. And what he actually said was the blood of the covenant is thicker than water of the womb. And when they speak of the covenant, they weren't speaking about the Bible necessarily. They were speaking about an agreement or a promise that you've made. And I can relate that back to the promise of um, serving others or risking our lives so that other people can live. Um, that's a promise that we've made and that bond that all of us have because we've made the same promise and we share the same um share the same mission in our lives that is far thicker than water of the placenta is what they say so far thicker than some of the relations we may have with friends and family so this unique kind of way that we are intertwined with each other is something that will never be you know will never go out of style for any of us. It'll always be something to be cherished and treasured. And uh, I think we just need to remember to support each other. It's not about competing with each other. Um, so podcasts like this, where we can share what we've done, what we've learned, um, our trials and tribulations, our failures, no matter how embarrassing or funny they are, I think it's, it's, it's a great thing to go forward with. And I'm proud to be part of this podcast. I'm proud to be part of this industry. They're in tears running down my Stop. face right now. Stop it. Just... <laughs> Phoenix, this is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I, I truly mean it. That's, yeah, that's deep. You're welcome. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Every now and then I go a little bit deep. It's good with me. I, I... Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, girl, I, unless you got anybody else, anything else to tell everybody else out there, um, man, I, I think we're good. I think this was awesome. And I really cannot thank you enough for coming on and just sharing these stories and everything that you do and you're doing. I look forward to the day you and I get to meet up, do a hike, hit a Spartan or something cool, because I'm all about it. So Yeah, I look forward to that as well, especially meeting your wife. I mean, now I've met you. But uh, some good quality time meeting your wife, I'll be happy with. So that means you can that... come along too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I just got invited to the party. I'm so pumped. <laughs> no, thanks. Thanks for having me, Jace. It's been a pleasure, really. Absolutely. Uh, in that case, I'll, I'll catch you soon. All right. All right. Adios. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here.
Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>